Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Toogie's Take Podcast. No cold open this time, Endo Mills, because we are back for the second time in as many days. But this time, we get to talk all about the world of hockey that we missed over the last two weeks while that Finland trip happened. You want to hear all about that? Check out yesterday's episode. But for today, it's all hockey all the time. And who better to have on the show if it can't be the third member of this podcast, Danny, you are always here. It's Danny Webster from the Las Vegas Sun, by the way, back for the third time. We haven't talked to you since the trade deadline, and you are always just right there to save the day when Sin's in Finland, every time. You know what? If I'm not the uh, the unofficial third member of the Tukey's Take podcast, I I don't know what we're doing here, but uh, but I'm always uh, happy to hop on whenever uh, whenever Sin's not around. Third I... member? <laughs> I've been replaced. <laughs> You're 3A. There we go. 3A. 3A, 3B, I'll take it. I was going to go number four maybe, but you know what? That works too. Yeah. I would have you on the show every episode if I could, but you are a, a busy man, a busy man to say the least. And uh, we'll be talking, like I said, about everything that you know I missed getting to talk about over the last couple of weeks which is why we're going to kind of get right into it because there is a lot whether it be from two weeks ago or even today a couple of trades happening today that we're gonna get to talk about which i'm very excited about so we're gonna forego viewer questions to just talk hockey but before we do that endo mills you've gotten good at this lately you've always been good at this you want to mention who sponsors this fine show Manscaped, our lovely sponsors who are the kings and queens of making sure that you are nice, clean, and proper in several regions, including your face, including your eyebrows, including mm-hmm. your nuts or your, your areas of which pertains to. Who knows? It works for everybody. The number one products for male and, and or female grooming. Perfect. Shave your nuts, shave your arms, shave your eyebrows. I know I got a few over here I gotta get to. You know what? We don't talk about that. The facial hair like that can grow can't grow over here, it goes right on my eyebrows. I'm like I'm like Baron Davis. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Anthony Davis. There it is. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> Is it is it Barrett? No, Barrett. Baron Davis was known to have some eyebrow issues in his days, but I don't think it's anything like the unibrow. But yes, you're you're on the right track. Yes, there you go. I had to take a look, and it's just yeah, that is that is a fierce unibrow. It's not that bad, but it's getting there. Damn! <sighs> Shout out to Baron Davis. <laughs> Manscape.com. Code Toogie for 20% off your order and free shipping. That's Code Toogie, T-O-U-G-I-E. Thank you to Manscaped, of course, as always, for sponsoring the show. Can you believe they've been here for like two and a half? Like, how are they still here? How? I don't know, but they are, and I thank them for it. Um, Danny, I want to kick off the show by talking about Baron Davis. Uh, I want <laughs> any. Any leg- uh, any you know um, legendary stories of the early to mid two thousands LA Clippers that you uh, that you have in mind? Uh, no, but you know when I think of Baron Davis, I unfortunately going back to the We Believe Warriors, and that just always Ooh. just drives a knife right into my heart as a Dallas Mavericks fan. So mm. we we try not to let the Baron Davis lexicon 
emit anywhere in the Mavs universe, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, no, there there is the dunk against Utah that he had. That's the only fond memory I have against him on uh, Andre Karolinko in the playoffs. Yep. That's about it. But mm. God, that that era of the NBA, I could talk about for a while. The really the the stretch for me, like 2003 to like 2012. Basically, right once, I mean, granted, it happened a couple years before. Once LeBron dropped the decision, mm-hmm. my interest in basketball slowly started fading because it's just like, oh, God, no one's winning anything but LeBron James <laughs> all the time, which is great. I mean, again, arguably, I mean, the best of all time. You can make that. But anyway, anyway, we'll get back on track. We, we can be here all day. I want to talk about something that you are probably sick and tired of talking about at this point in time, and that is the Stanley Cup final, which again ended while I was uh, not in Finland at that point, but I was at my gate in JFK Airport (laughs) watching the Vegas Golden Knights absolutely thrash the Florida Panthers in Game 5 en route to the Cup. And again, you were there every step of the way following this team and i mean that's that's the dream right as a as a writer that that follows professional sports teams you hope that they go on that run that you get to follow um i want to know specifically because in terms of the the team we know the stories right we vegas getting it done all the wheeling and dealing the six-year plan march is so winning the con smythe which Oh, I thought Bobrovsky had it after three rounds, by the way. What happened to that (laughs) narrative? Um, Phil Kessel being a three-time champion. The parade where William Carlson was on autopilots. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Like, we know all of this. That's all been said. But I want to know, like, specifically from your standpoint, what it was like, you know, the past two and a half months now getting to follow this as it happens. So I think the one thing that I can confidently say is, you know, pre-cap era, there have definitely been some deep teams. Like there's been some very legendary deep teams that have gone on dominant runs on their way to the Stanley Cup. And I and I don't want to take any like the O2 Red Wings, for example. I'm not going to try and say that they weren't as deep as this team, but cap era this might have to be the deepest team that's ever won a stanley cup from all four lines to three d pairs everybody contributing night in night out and it wasn't even the top guys you know you had jack eichel leading the team in points you had jonathan marshall tying dry in goals you had william carlson finding his goal scoring touch but it's the guys that you know, that don't get a whole lot of shine. The Nicholas Waz playing well in the fourth line. William Carrier, Keegan Colasar scoring. You know, Zach Whitecloud scoring a timely goal in game one against Florida. Just all guys contributing at different points. And the one thing that I'll take away from this run, Vegas was never really in trouble at any point in this run. And and you can probably take away game one against Winnipeg because, you know, Mark Stone's coming back from back surgery. Jack Eichel's in his first playoff game. The nerves are up there. And Vegas kind of got away from its game and really wasn't playing like itself. They go on to win the next four against Winnipeg rather easily. 
And all of a sudden you put that narrative to bed and then they go against Edmonton and they win game one and they win game three. And though they lost games two and four, I never really thought they were in trouble Mm. until they go to game five and they're down. I think it was that they were down two to one and they score those three goals in a minute and a half and they take control of the game. And then it's like, okay, well, if they're going back to Edmonton, you're surely expecting Edmonton to have a push. And they did with two goals in the first minute. But once again, the Golden Knights just turned it on in the at the end of the first and into the second period, and they dominated the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. And even going into the Dallas series, first two games go into overtime, and then they mop the floor with them in game three with Jamie Benn getting suspended. And even mm-hmm. when they lost the next two, you never really felt like they were in trouble. There was a lot of you know noises of, oh, they're going to blow a 3-0 lead, this and the other thing. But once again, when the pressure was on, they delivered. And even against Florida, they lose game three in overtime when they should have won that game. But they come back in game four and they win. And then in game five, they put on one of the more dominant performances I think I've ever seen in a cup-clinching game. Mm. They never looked like they were in trouble. And for them to lose six games en route to winning this cup, that's probably the biggest thing I'm going to take away from this is that the closeout games, they were dominant. The games they needed to win, they were really good. They played as great of hockey as anyone could have ever expected. And like I said, everyone, I think that the final tally was, I think 12 or 13 players were in double digits in points in the playoffs. Like, that's absurd. You, you don't see that in any other team. You probably get the you know a few guys scoring 20, a few guys scoring you know 15 here and there. But I think it was like 13 guys had 10 points. This team was deep. This team rolled four lines. They rolled three D pairs. Bruce Cassidy was adamant about finding the depth that worked for this group. And they just steamrolled through them. And, you know, it it's not going to go down as the most dominant run, but in terms of the cap era, this might be one of the more dominant runs we've seen from a Stanley cup winning team. You mentioned, you know, the overall depth, which was something that I kind of consistently pointed out when we were covering the series, you know, here on the show where it was just the idea of, okay, here's Florida. And all right, you have Kachuk putting up points. You have the big guys putting up points, but their depth wasn't quite there. And throughout every single playoff series, actually, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers right now. There were only two players that suited up for at least one game that failed to register a point in the playoffs. And that was Ben Hutton in two games played and Braden Pashal with one game played, no points. Um, Everybody else at least had something aside from the goaltenders, which... Yeah, like you mentioned, just it's that overall depth of this team. And, you know, looking at it, too, I did mention Jonathan Marcheseau winning the Conn Smythe. Do you agree with that, given that you had very reasonable shouts from Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, Aiden Hill? Uh, were you uh, were you content with the Marcheseau Conn Smythe? So I did not have a vote because they had to rush the voting with like 10 minutes to go in game five so only two vegas reporters got a vote the rest of them were national and i think two florida reporters i i i went into game five thinking i was going to have a vote and i literally tossed and turned through two periods thinking who in the world am i going to give it to 
ultimately, I think it was the right choice. I, I think Jonathan Marshall, so the, the, the trajectory of his playoff run where he goes the first seven games without a goal, and I think he only had two assists at that point. And then he scores twice against Edmonton in game three, and he just takes off from there. Just the consistency, the timely goal scoring. It, you could you could definitely make an argument for either one. Aiden Hill coming in when he did, dominating the way that he did. Jack Eichel just continuously making plays, not even just offensively, but turning into a really good 200-foot player and making a difference on the defensive side of the ice. You could definitely make a case, but I th- I think in the overall aesthetic, the way that Jonathan Marchessault scored his goals at the time that he did, especially with the hat trick in Game Six, you know the 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 goals in Games One and Two against Dallas, the way that he just continued to step up at the right times, I, I and plus the fact that he is one of the original six left from that Year One team, I think just the way that he took over in the Edmonton round and the Dallas round, I think already solidified it. And the fact that he ended it on a 10 game point streak, I think definitely helped his case to win it. So if I did have a vote, I definitely would have given it to Marshall. So I, I kept tossing thinking if maybe if Eichel gets a hat trick in game five, maybe I go this way. Or if Aiden Hill posts a 40 save shutout in game five, I probably would have gone that way. But mm. ultimately at the end of the day, the way Jonathan Marshall carried this team with the timely goal scoring, I definitely think he was the right choice. This next question, I was I was debating how to how to phrase it, but the parade. Yeah, can, <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you just tell us a bit about your experience on that particular day? Well, I I will say I stayed away from the mob scene that was the Las Vegas Strip. I was I was staying closer to the stage. Uh, for most of the night at T-Mobile, but as the uh, as the night progressed, you start to see uh, a few more cans of beer um, being shown. Uh, you see champagne bottles uh, shaken and uh, you know let go by Derek England of all people. You see a whole bunch of people just you know collectively getting plastered. And I and I didn't know how it was going to result uh, when the buses finally got to T-Mobile at about seven thirty or so, eight o'clock at night. And I'm looking at the stage, and the first thing I see after Bruce Cassidy and Bill Foley walk out is William Carlson sliding down the stairs because <laughs> he fell down the stairs. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> Now, every, everybody knows the, the the William Carlson speech by now. It, it's it's yeah. it's in hockey lore. It's going to go down as one of the greatest speeches of all time. This man became a father two months prior. Mm. Damn. Um, he he was confined to another room in his house for two months because his wife's family. And I believe parts of his family were in town and they did not want him distracted for any point during this playoff run. So William Carlson is basically confided to himself for two months. Just God knows what's going through his mind. And 
I have talked to this man on many occasions. He's one of the most soft-spoken human beings I've ever met. We have great Star Wars conversations every time something new Star Wars comes out. It's a great time. When that man grabbed the microphone, I seriously thought there was going to be some sort of FCC regulation coming out. Like I, I, I did not anticipate him getting up there. And at first, I didn't understand a single word he said until I heard it played back. And I was like, okay. And then, and then poor Kim Frank, one of, one of the members of the Golden Knights public relations staff, trying to get the microphone away from him. As if, as if, no, sir, you are not going to last here. This is not going to go well on public television on, you know, where everyone can access the channels. Um, so that that's that's obviously the biggest takeaway. And he definitely let all his uh, inhibitions go after being a dad two months prior and uh, letting go one of the craziest speeches at a parade we will ever see. But that was a uh, that was a madhouse uh, at Las, on Las Vegas Boulevard and uh, T-Mobile Arena. That was I, w- I was at the Aces Parade when they won the championship in October, and they shut down a mile of the strip, and that was a hassle in itself because they're only coming from uh, closer to Caesar's Palace all the way up to the Bellagio, which is about a mile. So they had to go through hoops just to close that down, and there were tons of people there. I think they estimated about a hundred thousand people there. They tripled that at this parade, and surprisingly enough, it went without a hitch as far as incidents went, which I which I was completely surprised. But definitely a madhouse, one that I never thought I would see. It was it was insane. You know, it's it would be a loaded question to say, okay, you know, hey, I, I could sit here and ask you questions all day, right? Yeah. Like it's just that idea of you know this team going through what they went through two seasons ago than last season. They don't even make the playoffs because of so many different circumstances. We'll say, I mean, a lot of injuries, certainly. Mm-hmm. And then this year to say, hey, we're still going to stay the course. We're going to go for it. And it works out. Like I said, I could ask you about this season, the last couple seasons all day long, but we'll move it forward to the upcoming season because there is a chance that of course they are nowhere close to done i think everyone's kind of expecting next season they'll be right back in a competitive standpoint you know ufa wise it's barbashev who is probably gone at this point at least may test the market first more than likely uh teddy bluger phil kessel and then in goal it's braswa jonathan quick and aiden hill and, of course, the word is Aiden Hill. They're negotiating a pretty, you know, big extension or at least, a, a, you know, a short term extension with a pretty big price point that they could afford, given that Logan Thompson is still making under 800 grand a season, which is hilarious to me. Um, they're really in such a good spot to keep this run going. And I think if you look at it this next season, especially my standpoint from the outside would be they're going to go for it because it's after this upcoming season that you start to say, okay, some of those dominoes are going to fall. Uh, Marcheseau, Stevenson, Carrier, Amadio, Martinez, Ben Hutton, hmm. all on UFAs, uh, all at UFA status after this upcoming season. Uh, do you agree that, hey, they're going to keep that same kind of approach going? Because, yeah, not to say the window's shut after this upcoming season, but. This upcoming season, from what we can tell, is still their best chance to win another one. Yeah, I when you look at really the, the whole core of this team, just looking at it next year, 
they're pretty much bringing everybody back. Um, you mentioned like the likes of Quick, Bluger, um, Kessel. They're probably all not coming back. Um, you know, Aiden Hill, as you mentioned, multi-year extension, close to $5 million per year. Um, that's looking likely, and they're going to roll the dice moving forward with an Aiden Hill-Logan Thompson tandem, uh, which is definitely flipped now because it looks like it's going to be Aiden Hill as a starter and not Logan Thompson, at least for the short term. So mm. there, there they have to deal with. Barbashev, I think the door is shut because of the Hill extension unless they make a move within the next couple of days to free up enough cap to where even when you put Leonard on LTIR, if that's a possibility, you have to figure that out as well. Um, the way that this team played last year or this year, it, I think it gives a lot of people to believe they could definitely run it back and be as good of a back-to-back team as, as there has been because they played a good majority of the season without Mark Stone, who was out for the second half of the year with a back surgery, comes back and obviously plays tremendously in the playoffs. Jack Eichel was their leading scorer and he missed 15 games. If he doesn't miss that time, we're looking at, you know, point per game Jack Eichel, which I think everybody would have at the beginning of the season would have taken immensely uh, amazed at how that would have turned out. Mm-hmm. And you have, you have Marshall still coming back. You have Carlson Smith. You still have the fourth line still patrolling really well. And you have Carrier, who you can probably bring back after after next season. This team currently constructed, along with the goaltending and along with the decor locked up, definitely there is a case that can be made that they, if they run it back with the majority that they've got, considering the depth that they have, they absolutely can run it back and probably contend for another cup. And then, you know, figure out what you can do next year with Stevenson probably getting a huge pay raise, with Marshall probably getting a slight bump with Carrier getting a slight bump. So there's definitely that feeling amongst this group, amongst this organization, that if they were to go ahead and just maybe make a couple of depth moves or if they want to swing big and go for someone big, like maybe an Alex Dabrinkit, you know, whoever, the room is there and the ability is there for them to say, we can just roll with what we've got and we can go win another cup. So there's definitely that belief within this within this organization that they can do it and they could probably run it back. I can imagine how many people are frustrated at the thought of, Oh yeah, Vegas lands, Alex to as well. After all of the, all of the players out there, they're (laughs) always going to be rumored to every single solid name that's out there. It's just Mm -hmm. the style that they've shown this entire time. Mm -hmm. Um, and then obviously, you know, the other side of the cup final don't have too much else to add about Florida because you'd kind of expect them to be in a similar spot too of doing everything they can to go right back because they don't have, you know, the, you know, the big names are still under contract. They don't have the huge concerns this upcoming off season either. I mean, their most important UFA uh, is Endo and every Leafs fans, best friend, Radko Gudis, who I would imagine they're going to try to keep, yeah. but you know, it, it it's always one of those things like, okay, what does a loss in the cup final do to a team? Do you run it back or do you go uh, full Vancouver in 2011 and <laughs> just try to completely change the outlook of your team, right. which doesn't often work too well. But yeah. like I said, I could sit here and ask you about this Golden Knights championship run the entire way because it's still uh, 
fascinating to me, obviously, just to be able to be like, hey, you were there the whole way through. Tell me everything about the experience because, I mean, again, it's just the idea of how cool it is. But we have so much more to talk about here, which, again, I'm glad you're here for that as well. Let's go next um, quickly, quickly to the NHL Awards from last night. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> oh my god full full disclosure i did not watch them so i, I Me either I, I don't even i i i heard the i heard the bad things on twitter let's just oh my god just look bad. at twitter for like five minutes and you'd be like holy sh- yeah the typical say, yeah go ahead i will say before we get in before we really dive into it Connor mcdavid showed some personality and people were mad mm. yeah Oh, cringe! It's like what the fuck? He's gonna make fun of the. He's gonna make fun of the his his franchise's rival team because he can. You know, it's like oh, appreciate all your fans, even you, even you Calgary guys who hate me. Like that's funny. Mm-hmm. God, people, people are soft. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the only way to put it. It's it is that idea, uh, and we've seen it, I think, time and time again in the NHL. People say, "Hey, let's see some personality from these players," and then you get it. And it's no, not like that. It's just it's it's just never fun. And I mean, the award show itself, you always have just so much. Like, I tuned in for about five seconds, and they were randomly like, "Here's Pecorine on the street with a catfish," and then he threw it off screen, and they cut away from him. <laughs> Uh, hey Pekka, can you like, can you like stand here and do a cutaway so we can go cut to a a performer performing a song for thirty seconds and we can go cut the commercial real quick? Yeah, thanks, thanks Pekka. I was mm. congrats on the job, but th- thanks Pekka. It was just, it was weird. Now, obviously, too, um, in terms of the awards themselves, um, th- this controversy every year, right? Like, this is one of those subjects where I feel like it's a huge talking point today. But it shouldn't be. Um, you had, for example, Gord Miller uh, of TSN admitting that he accidentally voted for Eric Stahl instead of Jordan for uh, second place on his Selkie ballot. And the big name today that most people outside of Pennsylvania do not know, but we're all now becoming familiar with, is Seth Rorabaugh of the Pittsburgh Tribune Review who was the infamous man to have put David Posternock first on his heart ballot, which inherently isn't the craziest thing in the world. It's their best player on a record-breaking team. But it's putting Connor McDavid fifth. That has a lot of people in an uproar, because uh, as it turns out, this was the vote that stopped Connor McDavid from getting a unanimous heart trophy, which, I gotta be honest... I'm sure he doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, put yourself in Connor McDavid's shoes. Does it matter if it was unanimous? No, because clearly probably should have been. Um, but Seth Arbaugh, um is, is a writer who is following in the footsteps of those that came before him. And I will elaborate. Uh, he left Eric Carlson off of his Norris ballot crazy to most people, but I'm sure he's viewing it in terms of the way it's written, best overall defenseman, which everyone knows, Eric Carlson's defensive abilities, eh, not what they used to be. Um, 
put Patrice Bergeron for fourth for the Selkie, while Jordan Stahl was first, even as the most diehard Bergeron defender, like, hey, I I could see the argument. Um, but where he kind of draws some ire from people is he left uh, Matthews and McDavid off of his heart ballot completely last season. Yeah. Um, and then there was another writer, Russ Cohen, uh, who put Mika Zibanejad as uh, his vote for first team center for the all NHL team. I say all of this to say that we have seen, and no offense to Danny, of course, a writer, but uh, we've seen shit takes from writers for decades. 20 years ago, we saw the Aginla, Jose, Theodore, MVP nonsense. And for those who don't know that story, essentially it was Jerome Aginla did not win the MVP because a writer, I believe from the Montreal area, put Jose Theodore as his number one, and to try and help Theodore get the award, left Aginla off his ballot completely. This is just a thing. It's been a thing. Whether or not it's uh, personal bias, whether or not it's trying to be like, hey, see, fans that I write for, I'm one of you. This has been a thing for so, so long. So I don't have too much to add to this debate because i i expect this in terms of the award voting i don't know if you guys feel any different but it was the least surprising thing in the world to me yeah i mean i i will i will say it's it's not as glaring as leaving mcdavid off the ballot i did not even have matthew kachuk on my ballot for the heart and and i will be and and that's i think that was more so I don't know if it was more so just forgetful, but I had McDavid, Pasternak, Hellebuck at third. Jack Hughes, Jason Robertson. And that, that's no slight to uh, Matthew Kachuk. I just thought the way Hellebuck carried the Jets down the stretch, the way Jack Hughes pushed the Devils into the playoffs, and the way Jason Robertson just continues to be Jason Robertson. You yeah. know, I, I, I don't know if that would have gotten me killed as much as, you know, leaving McDavid as a fifth place vote. But, you know, in Seth's defense, you know, these ballots that we do as members of the PHWA is they're very meticulous and they're very, I don't know what the word is. It They're very precise. Like some of, like some of these trying to figure out for the all-star teams, I think are kind of ridiculous because you have to divide it by position and it just, you know, it doesn't make sense there. And you're trying to, you're putting so many hours in there. And maybe he did have a real legitimate reason why a record-breaking 160-point season should not be, you know, heart trophy worthy. You know, you know, he's entitled to his own opinion. Do I think that everyone should be bashing him, you know, as a, as a fellow sports reporter? No, I don't think that they should be doing that. You know, I, I've read his work. His work is great. And he puts a lot of, uh, you know, thought and you know, careful consideration into what he writes. So I don't think he should be bashed just because he had, you know, one opinion that a lot of people are going to agree with. But, mm. you know, it, it, it is what it is with these ballots. You know, obviously, you know, the Norris trophy aside, you know, that's probably going to be the one we're all looking at. Well, maybe it shouldn't have been this much of a landslide. But the, these ballots are everyone's opinion. And, you know, we're going to get criticized for it. I think I had, I think I had a, big omission last year i can't remember who i left off of one of my ballots but it, it happens you know and right. 
that that's that's just the way it is. So no, I I think anybody who's attacking Seth for his opinion just chill. He's Connor still won the heart by like three million points. It's not like it was going to alter the whole thing. Yeah. No, I, I mean I agree with that too. I mean, especially online reactions always going to be. Hey, we don't want it to be a hive mind. Hey, why wasn't it a hive mind? That's always what it's going to be, you know. Hey, let's 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 see some justification for voting for this in a different way. What do you mean you voted for it in a different way? That's just always how it goes, essentially. So, uh, and in terms of the awards, I feel like for the most part they went down as people expected. In terms of the the actual winners, we don't have to go through the full list, but I feel like in terms of who actually won, it's what you would have, what most people would have predicted would have been the outcome prior to it anyway so again don't necessarily have the energy to get worked up about the awards do have the energy to get worked up about the draft uh which again starts tomorrow wednesday night which it's always kind of weird to me that it's on a wednesday but hey let's let's go for it i'm I'm down for some midweek fun um i am just excited to see how this plays out right like as as a Bruins fan uh, I don't get to care about this draft until the third round so I (laughs) it's kind of like how people are like hey my team's not in the playoffs so I just get to sit back and have fun that's how I feel about the draft right now is oh cool let's see how this plays out and the funny thing is like normally at the top of the draft it's a little bit lazy right it's always you got to create the narrative of, OK, this guy has been the consensus one, but maybe this guy can sneak in and take that top spot because it does happen from time to time. Nico Heischer over Nolan Patrick, for example. Uh, but for the most part, that generated one versus two doesn't often work out. We don't have that this year. We know who the number one's going to be. But then normally I feel like it takes until like five or beyond to see how things are going to go. Uh, no, like immediately with, you know, Anaheim, Columbus, San Jose, Montreal, there's already that concern from some people over like, oh, God, are they not going to do the obvious thing? Um, in terms of Columbus, for example, who have the third overall pick, uh, the word was out from Aaron Portsline today uh, of The Athletic, who covers the Blue Jackets, that uh, Yarmo Kekalainen stated that the Blue Jackets haven't even met with Matt Vamichkov in Nashville, um, which is surprising. So you would think, okay, that rules him out of going top three. And then you have Corey Pronman uh, mentioning, quote, everything I've heard going into the draft is that Columbus is head over heels with Will Smith. And he uh-huh. thinks they would take him over Leo Carlson. There has also been debate as to whether or not Adam Fantilli, who has been viewed as the dead set second overall pick, could end up going third instead. Or, like, I don't remember a year where, you know, it's like, okay, number one pick, we know who it's going to be. And then the craziness immediately starts. I have been soaking up Twitter, just watching fans from these fan bases with these first few picks lose their minds it has been delightful <laughs> it, it has been a. I, I I will say that my attention to, to the draft did not start until maybe two days ago 
Mm. Uh, <laughs> because Fair. I think you're pretty uh, occupied. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, when you get done with this and then you realize, oh crap, the draft's coming up. And then you realize, well, the gold Knights only have five picks in the entire draft. You got three in the first two rounds and then they don't pick again until the sixth round. So, you know, I'm just looking up late, late round draft prospects at this point, but, um, Definitely, definitely some intrigue. I, I, I am really surprised how I think Columbus is playing it just because I thought Michkov would be somewhat of a, of a lock to Columbus if he fell down there. And surprisingly, they mm-hmm. haven't talked to him. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be really interesting to watch how this unfolds. And I, and I do wonder if maybe there's some, there's some last minute maneuvering. Maybe there's some last minute trades that might be happening at the top, which, you know, I, th- I think with this class, it's hard to think that way, but I think uh, I think ultimately th- it's going to provide some really interesting intrigue leading up to tomorrow. Maybe there are some last minute trades that might alter the draft, the, the top of the draft. We don't know. I mean, the draft feels that way throughout, and I think that was kind of evident by um, Pierre Dorian of the Ottawa Senators mentioning uh, he doesn't believe the Sens will obtain a first-round selection for tomorrow's draft, adds that this was a year not to have a first-round pick based on his scouting evaluations. Let me reread that. Dorian says he doesn't believe the Sens will obtain a first-round selection for tomorrow's draft, adds that this was a year not to have a first-round pick based on scouting evaluations. You can imagine what the reaction to this was from sense fans. <laughs> and that's the idea. Is this 4D chess from the Sens and Pierre Dorian to just, you know, maybe try to weasel their way in to try and get expectations lower? Do they actually believe this? Should the Sens entire scouting department be fired? It's it's a lovely, lovely time. Should note for the Sens too, obviously you mentioned Alex Debrinkit earlier. Uh, there's that whole situation for them. Uh, they're also bringing back DJ Smith and his coaching staff, which a lot sends Twitter. Oh, sends Twitter has been great over the last 24 to 48 hours. So um, that's what it is for me with this draft. You mentioned it. Vegas doesn't have a pick until later rounds. Bruins don't have a pick until the mid rounds. I just get to sit back and watch these fan bases lose their minds while I've already come to terms with the fact I you know of what this Bruins offseason was going to be and we can actually quickly mention that here too we're going to be bouncing around a lot I'm sure um but you know we'll, we'll talk about the trade that happens certainly involving the Boston Bruins which is very expected it likely won't be the only one um but in the aftermath of Patrice Bergeron winning the Selkie again which again named the award after him um it was mentioned today uh, by Bruins president Cam Neely that the Bruins are operating under the assumption that Bergeron and David Krejci won't be back, which to any Bruins fan, while depressing, isn't necessarily surprising. I'm kind of enjoying the fact that this offseason for Bruins fans is almost on rails in terms of what to expect. There will be trades, casualties of not winning this season. The same thing happened in 2014 when they pushed again and didn't win and you saw the departure of Johnny Boychuk to the Islanders and numerous other players um, it, it's great for me to genuinely just be able to sit back and not be able to stress because my standpoint is the window's shut 
So now I get to sit here and watch other fan bases kind of scramble and panic over what's being done, what's not being done. And the draft being as crazy as it's probably going to be sets up for that very nicely. Unless either of you have anything else to mention about the draft, though, we do get to talk about something that I do get to uh, work myself up about just a little bit. We haven't gotten to talk about the Hockey Hall of Fame class for this year on the oh, show yeah. yet. Oh, yeah. One thing I want to say quickly about uh, the draft is Jay Fresh puts out his annual, you know, draft list of, oh, mm-hmm. here's our final mock draft. And it's just him just taking the piss out of everybody. 100%. Like, how yeah. are you going to take, how are you going to take a man who put foghorn leg horn as a draft pick out of like U18 USA? Uh, to get drafted by the Calgary Flames like the like the fiftieth like pick, <laughs> it's so funny. And he replies like, he's, he says, "I'm not sure if I'm seeing a trend, but ninety percent of the people replying who are mad are Habs fans." <laughs> so uh, since you brought that up, allow me to read off. Go ahead, Danny. No, I was gonna say, didn't he have a guy on his list named Tugboat? Yeah. <laughs> so here here are some of the fine names on the list, right? And he starts off the trolling almost immediately by well, apparently maybe not trolling by going with Leo Carlson at second overall and Fantilli fourth to the Sharks. Um you get down to number nine, Detroit taking uh winger Yuri Kurak, who uh does not exist. Um number twelve to the Coyotes, defenseman Darcy Bingley. Um <laughs> And Meechkoff, 14th to the Penguins. Penguins <laughs> the Penguins! Fan, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, um, fuck, some of the names crack. he came up with are amazing. Minnesota taking uh, so, left winger out of Malmo, Otto Fiskramontiker, who I don't, I don't, I'd love to see how that name bar fits on the jersey. Um, God, there's some... There's some good names on this list. Yeah. Uh, number number 38 to Arizona, Plankton Chumbuke. <laughs> oh, you missed number 32, Max Goof. <laughs> <laughs> to the Vegas Golden Knights. To the Vegas Golden Knights. <laughs> I'm getting the scouting uh, report written up tomorrow. Oh, man. Oh, God. Uh, number 33. 41, Theodore Tugboat to Detroit. There we go. Um, 33, Rudolph Snows. <laughs> Um, <laughs> God, number 46, Galador Bluetooth going to the uh, Nashville Predators. And then uh, number 48. Stanfield. <laughs> 42, Stanfield McDonald McKay. Mm. If that is a real person's name, that is hilarious. That's a hockey-ass name. Were these from Key and Peele? Basically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. basically, yeah. <laughs> Number 48, though, to the Calgary Flames, goaltender, uh, Fagorn Leghorn. Uh, <laughs> I mean, literally, the, the Key and Peel sketch of oh, Aaron, and it's set up an entire generation for content like this, and it's, it's magnificent. It is the best. So, um, the Hockey Hall of Fame, right? Um, inductees this year, Ken Hitchcock, Pierre Lacroix, Tom Barrasso, Henrik Lundqvist, Caroline Ouellette, Pierre, uh, Pierre Turgeon, and Mike Vernon. Big year for goalies, certainly. 
Uh, if your name is Carey Price, you are feeling damn good about your chances of making it into the Hockey Hall of Fame right now uh, because you had Luongo and Lundqvist who were kind of in that same category of great goaltenders who didn't win a cup. They've made it in. And in general, the additions of Barrasso, Vernon, um, they've kind of dropped the the strictness that they enforced of what goaltenders are going to get into the Hockey Hall of Fame. So someone like Carey Price got to be feeling great right now. The, the two big issues coming out of this, one, the ridiculous trend of one woman per year making it into the Hall of Fame instead of how about you get that part of the Hall of Fame up to snuff? You know, it's that idea of you're lacking so far behind in terms of recognition to that side of the game. Why why go about it this way? And then, of course, the biggest talk, because I, I feel like obviously for every nominee, you know, for every inductee, you can make the argument, right? And people have seen those arguments now over the past week. But it, it is the snubs, of course, that stand out, in particular to Alex Mogilny uh, and Rod Brindamore, someone else out there who is not in, um, who I at least think very much should be and will be. It's a matter of time, you would have to say, especially with what he's done now as a coach. Um, this is just another aspect of the sport, similar to the awards that I try not to pay too much attention to because Mogilny not making it, just the political side of it, you know, the political side of it, the personal opinions, the the weight, the influence of it. It's just, I, I don't know. It, it's almost, it, it's a shame for a Hall of Fame that you have to have the frustration alongside with the idea of, yes, let's properly celebrate these people who did make it in. But just the way it's conducted, you're always going to have those moments of, okay, but we have to focus on who didn't make it in and why they didn't. Again, another aspect that I just... I, I, I wish I could generate the frustration and vitriol of it, but I, I simply can't because it's what I expect. Yeah, it's pretty much exactly like the Baseball Hall of Fame at this point. Mm. Just, the, just the whole political landscape. Not not as political as, you know, Russian sanctions, all that. I'm not, I'm not trying to compare it to that, but just, just, just the way that I think we should all expect at this point, you know, Barry Bonds. Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, to get into the Hall of Fame or in some aspect of getting in there. Mogilny and Brendan Moore still not being in there after, you know, how many years, how many tries now is just, it's ludicrous. That's why at this point it's like, do the Hall of Fames, with maybe the exception of, you know, the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, do they carry air, any merit at all? Because mm. we're so focused on who's not getting in. And until they finally get in, it's like, okay, everybody have a free fall. Now you can go ahead and choose whoever you want in. But until we get to the point of that, you know, it's going to be a year by year situation where, like you mentioned, no one's going to really, no one really should be putting in so much energy into why, because at this point, sadly, it's just become an expectation that they're not in. It's a bit depressing, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, it's just—it's one of those aspects where I—I I wish I was the type of person who could come up with the the bit of the fake outrage over this particular topic. But 
Um, for those who did make it in, I mean, again, there's a justifiable argument, obviously, as to why they made it in. You could debate, um, you know, whether or not somebody should have. Um, but at the end of the day, congrats to those who did make it in. But it's just another aspect of the sport where it's like, oh, cool. We can't fully enjoy what should be a cool thing just because of the way things are conducted. Um Speaking of not being able to fully enjoy the cool thing because the way the sport's uh, conducted, any guesses of what the next topic is that we got to catch up on from the past two weeks? No. Mm. Mm. Uh, the NHL, of course, stopping all warm-up jerseys. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, another topic where had we had a show when this first popped up, maybe there'd be more vitriol for it um my only thing to add to this aspect of the of the sport is just i have to still go back to eric stall in montreal a few years ago wearing the pride warm-up jersey um and then everything that happened this season um and it just goes to show how uh People of a certain political persuasion uh, have succeeded in politicizing something that isn't political. And uh, the NHL took the first exit off ramp that they possibly could uh, to, of course, protect, try to protect themselves, certainly try to protect the players. Um, not that I was looking forward to another season of, well, here's a Pride Night coming up. We know what's coming up. Who's going to sit out? This is going to be great. I don't think anybody was looking forward to that thought. Yeah. Um, but again, this is another aspect. It's about three topics in a row where it's like, hey, you. this is what I expected. The awards, you have the controversy over the, what, the Hall of Fame. You have controversy over who made it in, who didn't. The Jersey conversation, it's just... I, I figured out how I wanted to word it. Uh, those three parts of the sport exhausting it's all just exhausting and outside of mentioning like hey here was this development in this i uh, it's just i i just don't want to anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah that i think what was what was cringe for me was just watching gary bettman's response to elliot friedman's first question about it and it's like we've you're trying to skirt over it, which I'm like, why are you trying to hop over the issue? Like, I, I wish people would actually be more forthright in saying, yeah, we're doing this because this and this. And it's like, you're saying you're trying to eliminate all distractions. We know what the main distraction is, but you're yeah. just grouping everything together, which, you know, the, the Hockey Fights Cancer Initiative, especially here in Las Vegas, is a very sensitive issue to a lot of people in the locker room and to a lot of people within the organization, Shay Theodore being the main ambassador for that. And, you know, everyone's saying, well, you know, we're not saying that they can't continue those initiatives. We're not saying this. We just don't want, you know, purple jerseys or we don't want, you know, camo jerseys for military appreciation. That isn't it. But we all understand what the root of the problem is. And that's where the big problem is for a lot of people who are more so tone deaf to the entire situation. You know what the root of the problem is. Well, why are we trying to avoid it? That That's my thing. Yep. 
I think, it I was, think the best thing. Yeah, I think the best thing to summarize is like the NHL's um, way of thinking is the new NHL and NHLPA joint program that is basically the the Hockey Diversity Alliance, but by the NHL. Uh, they recently announced. Let me pull this up here for you guys. Uh, they announced a new program with, I believe, PK Subban and other uh, members of the other members of the community basically being a part of this program to help increase reach for the NHL. Let me pull this up here. I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's basically While you look it's, that up. Yeah. While you look that up, what I was going to say too is a big part of this and then I'll throw it back over to you. A big part of this for me was just the idea that like this news broke while I was over in Finland and it's like, oh cool, let me go take a walk. Hey look, there's a pride flag next to a church. <laughs> you know, it, it was kind of tough to just be like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what's going on back home, and then over here, here's this level of tolerance and acceptance, and that—that uh, that, that was another reason as to why it's just like, oh, uh, okay, cool, so excited to go home. <laughs> anyway, Endo, go ahead. There we go. So the NHL and NHLPA have launched the Player Inclusion Coalition. All right, so here is, I'll put it in the chat here for you guys to see as well, so you can follow along from the NHL.com itself. The National Hockey League and National Hockey League's Players Association today announced the launch of the NHL Player Inclusion Coalition, a group of current and former NHL players and women's professional hockey players who work to advance equality and inclusion in the sport of hockey on and off the ice. As part of the launch, the NHLPA and NHL of Earn have earmarked more than $1 million U.S. million to support the coalition's programs through contributions to grassroots organizations, player respective storytelling, and other special projects. It's co-chaired by NHL alumni Anson Carter and P.K. Subban, which is, I mean, it's pretty big considering what P.K. does, and now has 20 members with a range of perspectives across players of color, LGBTQ plus players and allies. Group was formed in 2020 as the NHL Player Inclusion Committee, where members met regularly to inform and develop recommendations to the NHL's Executive Inclusion Council on how to improve experiences for diverse players in elite hockey. Huh. Hmm. 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 Anything else to add on that? <laughs> Just, I mean, I, I guess one good thing from at least a local perspective, Zach Whitecloud is part of this uh, coalition. And, um, you know, he's definitely very proud of his heritage, being an indigenous person. And um, obviously the whole situation with John Anderson during the, the Edmonton series, which was uh, not a good look. But, um, you know, at least from that perspective, it's good that they're getting, you know, everyone from different backgrounds involved, I guess, as, as a way to save face. I don't know if that's the proper terminology for it. I'm not I'm not sure, but it's definitely interesting that within a couple of days this would be created. So I, I would like to hope that it would work to some extent. We'll move on from topics that depress me. <laughs> but again, we had to... Hold on. One, one last thing. One last thing. Never mind. We won't. I, I decided to look this up. The Hockey Diversity Alliance was started in June 8th, 2020. I believe a few months after that, the original uh, inclusion committee was started by the NHL. So, yeah. Hmm. We're not going to agree with you. We're going to do our own thing. I mean, it's great. It's great. But, you know, 
work together. Don't make this a PWHPA slash PHF kind of situation where two sides are basically fighting each other to mm. get things done. Be smart. Work together. But is that going to happen? <laughs> you know, is that going to happen? Probably not. Yeah. So now that we get that some of that nonsense out of the way, a couple other things, again, that we missed over the last few weeks. Uh, first and foremost, the buyout of one Oliver Ekman Larson. Um, still kind of surprised this happened. Again, it is going to cost Vancouver quite a bit moving forward. Now, for this year, the savings are tremendous. Uh, he'll only cost 146000 against the cap. Then it goes up to $2.3 million, 4.7 for two seasons, and then 2.1 for four seasons after that, totaling eight years. The Coyotes are also on the hook a little bit, but never for more than 650 k against the cap. Uh, Coyotes also randomly bought out Patrick Nemeth and Zach Cassian, which... For a team, you would think it's going to try to get to the cap floor, and it's like, well, you need bodies. To... Interesting, nonetheless. Um, immediately, OEL was started to uh, be linked to the Bruins, and I'm like, unless it's for like a million-dollar maximum, no thanks. Don't want to take that risk. But um, Jim Benning's parting gift to Canucks fans is this Oliver ekman Larson trade and, and the subsequent buyouts uh, that... Patrick Alvian was forced to perform a, a few seasons later. Um, Jesus, man. <laughs> <laughs> what it's, yeah. just, it's just one of those things where it's like, when when will some people... I still don't understand the contract. Like, I get at the time, or the trade, I should say. I get at the time that people are trying to justify it. as like, well, maybe he'll turn around and, and whatnot. But again... The main idea behind it is it's Oliver Ekman Larson on 12% retained and the signing rights to Connor Garland for Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, and Louis Erickson, who together totaled up for $12 million worth of cap, but only had one year left each. And then you also have to give up what became the ninth overall pick that was now Dylan Gunther, a second rounder, and, oh, a seventh this year. Um which, God, for Canucks fans, you really better hope that seven doesn't randomly come back to haunt you because that is exactly the type of thing that would happen in this set of circumstances. Um, just, just kind of, just kind of crazy is the only thing that I can add about that OEL buyout. Remember, yeah. remember the days when OEL was one of the best defensemen in the world. Mm-hmm. Pepperidge Farms remembers. Mm. That was also before COVID. Which also seems like a lifetime ago. <laughs> you know, when you uh, when you put it that way, you know? It's just, but, just such a fall from grace. I, I hope he does find a, a decent role as like a third-pairing guy somewhere on a team that needs a third-pairing, you know, right-shot defenseman. But, jeez. Yeah, I mean, you know, former 40-50 point defenseman, um... Was never a Norris finalist, but between 2012 and 2016, consistently at least received Norris votes. And then, yeah, 2019 was the last year that he received Norris votes. He finished 11th yeah. in voting uh, for that particular award. And uh, since then, not so hot. But as you as you would imagine in terms of, hey, let's, let's catch up on your thoughts in the last two weeks. Yeah, no, it's... And it's still going. It's still haunting Canucks fans, and will continue to do so um, for the time being. 
And that kind of brings us actually before we get into like the trades and the signings that happened really quickly. Endo Mills, let's talk about your Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, Chris Johnston mentioned um, that it was confirmed by GM Brad Treliving. Sheldon Keefe is returning as Leafs head coach next season. Does this yeah. not scream? Let's give Babcock one more chance. Fire him a month into the season. Here, Sheldon Keefe is the head coach. This is screaming uh, call up uh, whatever equivalent of Casimir Kaskasua we have just so that way we can get rid of fucking <laughs> Keefe when things blow up in his face too. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this lights a fire under him because I'm pretty sure Keefe's up for, an ex- up for uh, his contract's up the end of the year, I believe. And he's looking for possibly an extension. So this might be like a hey, if your team does good and you actually fucking do well, oh, get it, get it, get it, get a contract. There you go, shiny ticket. But don't say you have the choice and whether or not you stay or not, because you're gonna get kicked out of there as well. And then you'll be back over playing with uh, <laughs> the next coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins will be uh, Sheldon Keith, knowing how Dewis is gonna go. So it's one of the things that's crazy to me because this off season. Heading into it, it was nothing but, okay, Leafs are going to get rid of Keefe. They're going to get rid of one of the big four. That talk has died down completely. All that you have now surrounding you know, the Leafs is like, okay, Sheldon Keefe is staying. Hey, isn't it funny that Jason Spezza went to Pittsburgh as an AGM? We all knew that was coming. Um, and the the weird Bradshaw living Calgary thing where he won't be allowed at the Leafs draft table until after Calgary makes its first round pick, which kind of hilarious to me but it's just funny how all of that died down and maybe it'll pick back up again now that some of the things that were rumored have finally started to happen in the last two days or so um you know in talking about that for the past few days we'll get to the trade in a minute but the pierre-luc dubois saga and will it be montreal will it be la we did finally get a resolution to that we finally got a resolution to the whole St. Louis, Philadelphia blockbuster that was on hold for like four days because apparently Tory Krug refused to not waive his no trade clause to end up in Philadelphia. Nice. To the surprise of absolutely nobody. <laughs> we do still have some examples of the waiting game at this stage, right? Like there was the uh, Tony D'Angelo back to Carolina rumors. But the NHL has at least put a hold on that, apparently, viewing it as potential cap circumvention to trade someone back to the team that dealt them after less than a year. But we're rapidly approaching the year point of that, so they could ultimately just pull the trigger on that trade a little bit later on down the road. There is still Alex Dabrinkit, and, you know, it was mentioned, of course, while Vegas could be in the mix... Um, they are one, and Sin smiles at this. He's, he's sleeping at the time of recording over in Finland, I'm sure. But the idea that for Alex to bring it, it's either going home to Detroit or going to a, a state with no income tax. Uh, Sin was banging the income the income tax drum all season long. Um, you have Calgary, and what the hell is going to happen there? As apparently all of their key players are refusing to sign extension. <laughs> Although that talk has died down a little bit, too, in the past few days. And you would think that would have ramped up even more heading into the draft, because if you were going to make moves, 
you would think it would be either at the draft or closer towards the trade deadline. But right. that's still one of the, the craziest stories. And of course, the big one's Eric Carlson and whether or not he'll be dealt. And uh, Pierre Lebrun put out a tweet today that I find interesting. Uh, hearing that among several teams that have chatted to San Jose about Eric Carlson are the Seattle Kraken, Carolina Hurricanes, and Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay, if the Toronto Maple Leafs are involved, one, Sin is going to ask for, like, literally fucking everybody. I know Sin's going to be freaking out. Like, give me, like, give me, like, Nylander and, like, Nyes and a first-round pick and, like, some some other Finnish guy. Whatever. We'll find it. Nice sounds Finnish. (laughs) Nice sounds Finnish to me. Oh, he'll, he'll ask for Topi Niemela. <laughs> Give me uh, every sin on the yeah. roster. Oh my god. Oh my god. Uh but yeah, uh that's huge, even for all three teams the that they're potentially could be going over there. I think if Seattle somehow pulls like that out of there, that team which is already strong, like we talked about in the beginning of the show, like depth and depth scoring and everything. There was only one player on that that roster this season for the postseason who didn't get a single point. It was Jesper Froda. Everyone else had at least one point. At least one point. They only got to the second round. That's crazy. 14 games. Nuts. That's how it happens. So there is all of that, like I said, that we're still waiting for, but it, it does bring us into what has actually happened. And thank God there's been some movement now, finally. We do have to flash back uh, to June 9th. Haven't gotten to talk about this yet in terms of the first trade we get to discuss. Uh, Damon Severson to Columbus for a third-round pick in a sign-in trade. Um, I'm a fan of this one. Eight-year deal, $6.25 million per. um, And someone I'd bank on to be more effective than the other defenseman uh, that was acquired from a Metro division team by the Columbus Blue Jackets within the past month. Fan of Damon Severson. Not the biggest deal in the world, though. Then there was a few days ago, which feels like a week ago, Ryan Johansson to Columbus, or to Colorado, excuse me, on 50% retained, so he'll cost $4 million against the cap, uh, from Nashville for Alex Galchenyuk, a deal in which Nashville has already said, we don't really plan on re-signing Alex Galchenyuk. The poor guy. Um, I'm still kind of surprised, though, that Colorado said Ryan Johansson at four mil. That's that's a fit for us because they still have an immense amount of UFAs um, on defense. Eric and Jack Johnson forwards Cogliano, Comfer, Ellers, Helm, Nieto, Rodriguez. Maybe it's the thought of they already kind of know who's coming back and who isn't. So this is the safety net a little bit. But for abs fans i don't know i guess you're kind of banking on ryan johansson turning it around a little bit like he's been okay certainly not what nashville thought they were getting when he was acquired uh, from columbus which just to make myself feel old uh that trade geez. okay any recollection of when that trade was gentlemen it was ryan johansson for seth jones one for one Mm. on January 6th, 2016. 
Go figure. Seth Jones got traded on January 6th. Um, anyway. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> In my head was Jericho. January 6th. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's just a weird one. I don't really know how that's going to work out. You had Arizona pick up Sean Dursey for a second round pick <clears throat> next year. Uh, that was originally Montreal. So, um, shout out to Leafs legend Sean Dursey. I think is it twice now he's been traded for a, a second round pick. No, last time it was for Jake Muzzin, but he was a second. Yep, exactly. Saying, so. It counts. And then we'll we'll get to this one. Um, we mentioned the Bruins and you know having issues and casualties. Taylor Hall is now a member of the Chicago hockey team, as is Nick Foligno. Foligno signing a one-year extension worth $4 million per because you got to get to the cap floor. Good for him. There you um, go. In exchange for the signing rights to Ian Mitchell and Alec Regula, both defensemen who, you know, eh, maybe they are something, maybe they aren't. But it is the idea that, again, the Bruins also dealt Shane Powers for Riley Walsh. That is what it is. Um this 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 was coming you know i mentioned it earlier as a bruins fan like hey i'm, I'm practically on autopilot through this offseason there are going to be players uh who are either traded away or retire in the case of bergeron and Krejci. although again that's not official um i am intrigued though at the idea of we're gonna trade taylor hall to then give and probably similar if not equal amount of money to tyler bertuzzi that, to me, doesn't really compute. I get the idea that they want to keep Tyler Bertuzzi, but I'm wondering, from an outside perspective from either of you, like, is that how Tyler Bertuzzi's viewed? As, like, yeah, Taylor Hall money, if not better, he's the one you keep over Taylor Hall. I just, I, I would expect Tyler Bertuzzi to leave at that point, too. I just don't, I don't understand. I mean... You would think after the run he had after the trade, I mean, I, I guess you could see the value in him. Um, but, I mean, you you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Taylor Hall was completely horrible. Like, he wasn't putting up MVP numbers. But, I mean, on that group with the top-end talent they had, you know, I think he was really good at what they needed, which was secondary scoring in the middle six, which, yeah. I mean – you sign him to, you know, six million dollars for what three years? I, I don't know if yep. that was the smartest idea, but I mean, like like I said after the trade, I, I don't know what Taylor Hall did to deserve this. I mean, going to Chicago, <laughs> like like yeah, you get to go play with Connor Bedard. Like that sounds uh, like a good idea, but at the same time, how long is it going to take before you know Hall possibly? asks his way out of Chicago if they're not contending. Like, mm. I, I can't imagine that's going to be a, a long conversation if Chicago is, you know, not competing for a playoff spot by January. Yeah, I mean, it is that idea, right? Like, you would presume their top line this season. I mean, unless they wanted to play Bedard on the wing to start instead of at center. But you would imagine that like, you could envision a Chicago top line of Taylor Hall, Connor Bedard, and Andreas Athanasiu, and it's just a high-speed, high-skill line. Uh, which, I mean, I'm sure Athanasiu and Hall, who are both UFAs in 2025, are excited at that possibility because you're going to get to probably cash out a decent amount. Uh, 
once that contract's up. But yeah, uh, I don't. I don't know. Again, Hall has that uh, two years left on his deal. Has that extra year? Maybe you spend one year in Chicago and then get dealt on fifty percent retention the following year. Maybe even at the deadline as well. Um, I can't imagine he will see out the final two years of his deal as a Blackhawk. Can't imagine. I think that's how most people feel at this point. We yeah. mentioned... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I agree with you. I don't, I don't see him playing out. God, I don't even expect him to play out this year, let alone even the last year in his deal, to be honest with you. Yeah. We mentioned the St. Louis-Philadelphia trade that blew up and whether or not Sanheim was involved. Was this guy involved? Blah, blah, blah. What it comes down to now is uh, Philly gets a sixth-round pick next year to retain 50% on Kevin Hayes, who is now a member of the St. Louis Blues at about $3.6 million. Uh, a, a bit boring. A bit <laughs> boring, all things considered. With the Where hype it and started, the... yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Kevin Hayes is on $3.6 million for three more seasons. You can do worse for a middle six option. Now, you could say, well, somebody had the score on Philly last year, but he did have 54 points last season as a flyer. And knowing that the Blues have a lot of options, really, like they don't have major UFAs to deal with, they don't have major RFAs to deal with, and they have three first-round picks this year, which is very surprising to me. They have their own. Uh, they acquired Dallas's... Um, in a, I mean, technically it was the uh, the Nils Lundqvist to Dallas and then Vladimir Tarasenko to New York. And then also acquired a first round pick um, that had previously belonged to the Toronto Maple Leafs or yep. Ryan O'Reilly. So the Blues are in a pretty good spot. And again, I think you could do worse than having Kevin Hayes in the mix on a team that still has Saad, Thomas, Kairou, Bushnevich, happening uh, Jakob Verana who we'll see what he can do in a full season in St. Louis after the issues he's dealt with over the last little bit I don't think the Blues are in an inherently bad spot and again I think it's a it's just a good deal that's the thing right we're stuck in a situation where I'm like hey okay I feel the need to kind of catch up on everything that happened over the last two weeks but for the most part it's like all right you know the awards the jerseys eh, whatever and then there are some of these trades where it's like Taylor Hall gets dealt it's a shame for him that it's to Chicago, but someone was going to get traded. Kevin Hayes to St. Louis. This was rumored for five days. By the time it finally happens, it's like, oh, okay, it's a fine deal. But then we get to the other big deals today, and I feel like this is kind of what we've been building towards, so I'm excited for this. The Colorado Avalanche trade Alex Newhook to Montreal for defenseman Gianni Fairbrother the 31st overall pick in this year's draft, and the 37th. Now, as far as what this means for Montreal, right? Because this one, there's a little bit more meat on the bone. You know, the, the Kevin Hayes deal, what does it mean for St. Louis? You get a good player. What does it mean for Philly? You clear cap space. Easy. Same for Boston, the Taylor Hall trade. This one, though, is Colorado moving on from the 16th overall pick in 2019 at just 22 years old. I love this deal for Montreal because I still feel like, uh, and, and maybe it's because, okay, you know, there's still that 
that new car smell surrounding the leadership in Montreal. But it's the thought of like, man, if you were a young player looking for a fresh start, what's the one team you'd want to go to? It feels like it would be Montreal. And they add Alex Newhook into a situation with Caulfield, Suzuki, Doc. This could be, and of course they re-signed Sean Monaghan as well to a relatively cheap deal. Like Montreal's really looking okay. And I really feel like he could break through. And it's funny how they've ended up now, um, not only with Alex Newhook, but with, with Justin Barrett. Uh, Colorado and Montreal have been kind of frequent trade partners as of late. I feel like for them, this could be fantastic. For Colorado, you get some draft capital, which is great because you didn't have it. Um, all they had this year prior to this trade was their own first round pick, and that was their only selection in the first four rounds prior Jeez. to this trade. And they get a defenseman in Fairbrother who, again, you know, was a former third round pick, hasn't had any NHL time yet, but one of those who knows what he could be type of players. Um, I, I like it for both teams. I know that's the boring take. I like the trade for both teams. Yeah, that that is a a really good deal for Montreal. If if you are a center and you are under twenty four years old, the Montreal Canadiens will take you, and will turn you into a very productive member of their hockey team. Just ask Kirby Doc, uh, just ask Nick Suzuki, who has become a godsend and a great captain for that for that organization. I mean, you're giving Marty St. Louis a really good team for the future with all this youth, with all this depth. You know, they, they I think they still got to address some things on the blue line going forward. And, and we didn't even mention Slavkovsky uh, yeah. <laughs> because he was out for pretty much all of last year. Mm. Um, so there, there's all of these different pieces that Montreal's got. And they, they're just set up so well going forward. I don't know if they're going to challenge for a playoff spot this year. They might. If Suzuki and Caulf- if Caulfield stays healthy, um, you know I th- I think we're looking at a really good group that might make some noise this year or maybe give some teams some fits. Two other minor trades, both involving involving the Sharks. They swapped Andrew Agazino for Andre Schuster with the Ducks. They picked up Mackenzie Blackwood's signing rights for a sixth round pick from the Devils. Obviously, going to try to get a reclamation project there, but we finally got an answer to the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade. And it was a sign-and-trade with the LA Kings as he signs a monstrous extension. I feel like it's the only way to put it. Eight and a half million for eight years um, with a full no-movement clause that kicks in through 2024 to 2028. And then the last three years of a deal has a modified no-trade clause. In exchange... For Gabriel Velarde, Alex Iafalo, Rasmus Kapari, and a second-round pick in 2024, originally wow. Montreal's. For Los Angeles, I appreciate the fact that you're trying to hit a home run. I respect it. You know, this gives you center depth of Kopitar, Dubois, Philip Deneau. That is very tough to handle. For any team in the NHL, especially even Lakopitar at 35 years old, he's still awesome. I appreciate the fact that you had a logjam of younger forward talent that you had to kind of deal with. 
But giving up those three and a second to Winnipeg, this was as this was better than anybody could have possibly imagined the Jets would do on a Dubois trade, given we have been dealing with two years of Montreal confirmed. Ever since he was acquired. It, again, that original trade, January 2021, uh, the Jets acquired Dubois and a third round pick for Jack Roslovic and Patrick Line. People viewed that as an immediate L because you give up Patrick Line. But to then rebound, and you could essentially say now it was Dubois, Roslovic, Line for Velarde, Ayafalo, Kapari, uh, a second round pick, and that third round pick last year was uh, for Daniel Zilkin. What are you going to do? Um, I, I still feel like, you know, given the talent that was given up. I still feel like the Jets did incredibly well. I could not in any way give them an L on this trade. I really, really like this deal for them. Def- definitely, uh, I think, a win for both sides because mm. the the Jets definitely, th- one, they get NHL-ready guys to fill yeah. out that roster, and who knows what in the world is going to happen over the next couple of weeks with Hellebuck, Shifley, Wheeler. We, we don't know. What's going to happen with that? They could go full fire sale and trade off all those guys, but at least they got NHL-ready guys and they got draft capital at it. For the Kings, you're looking for a team that's going to challenge Vegas atop the division. Edmonton's going to be up there, but if if they can get some semblance of the Pierre-Luc Dubois that was turning into one of the best 200-foot guys in Columbus, now mm-hmm. with term with money locked up long-term, Kopitar, Deneau, Dubois is a three-center tandem I do not want to face at any point at all this year. And now you're probably moving Byfield to the wing, which if he pans out, I mean, I, I know he didn't score a lot last year, but if you move him to the wing and he can generate with one of those three, I mean, that's a forward group that even though you lose a couple of key pieces... That's still that's still really good for Los Angeles. You know, obviously we have no idea. We're talking about a situation that's three months away. But Cap Friendly right now has the Kings depth chart as Byfield, Kopitar, Kempe, Fiala, Dubois, Arvidsson, Moore, Deno, Galiev as the top nine. That ain't bad. That's not bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think Rob Blake's done very well and um, obviously, too, defensively, you know, they they make the move to be able to keep Gavrikov as well. Still thought it was a little bit pricey for what it was. Um, the only thing I'm intrigued by, it's like, okay, can that defense hold up? And then what the hell is their goaltending going to be next year is my my really big question. Um, Corpusal is a UFA, meaning right now, without any major changes, you'd be looking at Phoenix Copley and somebody else. I'm intrigued to see. Like, I don't know if they could possibly be in the market for another deal with Winnipeg to be like, hey, Connor Hellebuck. But if a team like Philadelphia, for example, was still thinking about shopping Carter Hart, uh, if I'm Rob Blake, I'm in on that every day of the week. So with that, gentlemen, there was a lot to catch up on. I don't know if this show flowed necessarily as I wanted it to. Because it's like, hey, here's a thousand topics. Let's just talk about all of it, damn it. Um, and there were some signings, too, we didn't even talk about. Like, Jesper Bratt getting his big deal in New Jersey. 
uh, Halla, Jordan Stahl sticking around, uh, Evgeny Dodonov re-signed with Dallas in the time that uh, we started recording. Um, I feel like the main, the main takeaway is that for as much as we didn't get to talk about, you know, on the show in the past two weeks, we are far from done, it would appear, in terms of, of silly season here. Like, the next two weeks really should be, or at the very least the next week and a half, should be just stupid, but in the best way. We talked about the stupid aspect of the NHL on a couple of different occasions, but this is going to be stupid in a good way, with a lot of moves and a lot of changes and hopefully some ridiculous uh, surprises in terms of the draft as well. Um, but with that, we'll wind things down because Endo Mills is about to pass out in his chair. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what it was. I just I had like good sleep, but I just guess I'm just exhausted from work. But yeah, I'm going to pass out. So I'll take the segue out here as well. Uh, find me on Twitter, YouTube, Twitch sometimes uh, at Endurance M. That's that's just how it is now on Twitch. It's, it's just Endo because I changed my username and you can't change it after 72 days on Twitch. With YouTube, you can change it like twice a, twice every two weeks or whatever. Something something crazy like that. But yeah, so before I pass out, uh, yeah, that's what I got going on. Danny, I want to thank you again for joining us here. Again, it, it's always it's always fun. Um, and as you mentioned to me before we started recording, uh, just because hockey season's about done in a week and a half doesn't mean you're not going to have a busy summer. Not at all. He's transitioning to uh, Las Vegas Aces coverage. Another championship team uh, in the in the city of Las Vegas. Not it, it'll be uh, the thirteen and one Las Vegas Aces. They are uh, running roughshod right now through the WNBA. So the, the grind does not stop, gentlemen. It does not stop. And thanks. Soon you might have. Well, I mean, hey, the Raiders season will be coming up before you know it. And uh, who knows? Maybe you'll oh. get baseball coverage in the next couple. Oh of years. God! Don't even get me started on that dumpster <laughs> fire. <laughs> of a situation. Uh, Tremendous. God. With that, everybody, we thank you very much for joining us. We will be back to talk about just a few days worth of events uh, later on this weekend. And I am maybe a guest. We'll be back to talk about the draft and whatever other kind of craziness might happen. Until then, thank you for joining us and goodbye. Shout out to Manscaped. Manscaped. Yeah. Manscaped.